Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. We've been going through this series of sermons called How to Get Through the Tough Stuff, How to Get Through the Valleys in Life. And so this morning we want to continue on in this uh, message talking about Uh, the dark places or the dark times in life. And we all go through these periods of times in life where things happen out of our control, or maybe sometimes it happens because we've made really poor choices in life, but we find ourselves in a valley. We find ourselves in a dark place. And for those of us that our, our followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who know the Lord, these, these dark times, these dark places, uh, sometimes even, even God grows silent in those places. And uh, there's a verse in Job I, I want us to start off with this morning. Uh, Job, if, if you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job lost everything within a moment of a, uh, of a few days. He, he lost um, his wealth. He, he lost his children. He lost um, his reputation. He, he lost his health. Um, he didn't lose his wife, but she was mad at him. So, you know, that's not a good thing either. And, and so all of this happened at one time. And Job makes this comment in verse 8 of chapter 19. He says, God has blocked my way and I can't get through. He has made my path so dark I can't see where I'm going. And I don't know if that has ever happened to you, but if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be moments in life, there will be things that happen in life that it feels as though God has allowed something into your life and, and you're, you're so confused, you're so um, sad, you're so disappointed, you're so frustrated, you're, you're at the end of yourself that you literally don't know which way to go. And it is is it is as if God has, has just shut himself out of your life and has left you in this place by yourself. And, and this happens to people when they get into dark times sometimes. I, I remember, you know, I, I was pastoring a church in Kentucky. And uh, it, was, it was my first... Um, it was my first church where I was there full-time. I mean, I, that, that was... Uh, my job was to be their pastor, and I had nothing else uh, on, on my slate to do except to do that. And uh, it turned into a very sour, bitter experience for me. I, I've been very uh, blessed to be uh, to serve people um, who who love the Lord and have loved us. But that time in Kentucky, it was hard. It was challenging, and I don't have time to share all the gory details of what happened, but I will say it this way. There were some really mean people there, and I didn't respond to it very well, and I was very mean back to them. And that created a valley in my life. 
and it got really dark. And, and I didn't know what the Lord wanted me to do. I thought maybe I had messed up. Like maybe, maybe I wasn't supposed to be a pastor. Maybe, maybe I had missed it. Maybe I should, should have been doing something else with my life. Maybe, maybe I should be a missionary or, or a coach or anything except what I was currently doing. And I didn't know how to get out of that. And I remember this so distinctly and so well because um, Cherry and I, we were newly married and, and, you know, she followed me up to this town in Kentucky to be the pastor of this church and it was just her and I. And I was so sad. I was so confused and so messed up about where I was. And, and I had this, this new bride and it was just not a good time. It was just not a good time. And I remember her parents came to visit us. And uh, while they were with us, one day we were just running errands. And we, we ended up in a grocery store just to pick up some things. And, and they were off doing the little grocery shopping thing. And I, you know how sometimes grocery stores have, they have a little book section and these little books are set up on these little turntable things. And, and so that's what I, I was standing there turn, turning this, this thing of books. And there was a book there. The title just grabbed me. And the title of the book, I'll never forget, it was called Crucified by Christians. And it, and it was just a little thin paperback book written by Gene Getz. And, and so I picked it up and I started just, I just read the introduction standing there. And, and, I, and I was hooked. It was like God began speaking to me in that store with Cherry's parents there, which is a miracle. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but I mean, it just, it, it's like, I, it, it, was, it was like whatever darkness I was in, all of a sudden there was a ray of light. And God was speaking to me through this book. And so uh, they, they were doing their shopping, and, and finally they came, they found me, and, 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 and Cherry's mom was like, what have you got there? And I showed it to her. She's like, well, I'll just buy it for you, you know? And, and so she did, and, and I went, we went home that day, and, and I took that book, and it's the only book in my life that I've sat down and read the entire thing at one time. I read the whole book. And it, and it was just, God was just speaking to me through this book, giving me something that I needed so desperately in this dark place that I was at. And I learned something that day. I learned something about being in a dark place. And I want us to, to think about that together this morning. The first thing that I learned is that when life is in the dark, God is still faithful. God is still faithful. I was in a dark place, but God was still faithful to me. And the Bible tells us this over and over again. Look at Psalms 18, verse 28. You light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. Look at Psalms 107. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Again, in the New Testament, in John, it says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that when we find ourselves in a valley, when we find ourselves in a place where we are confused and frustrated and we don't know what to do, it's like being in a dark room and you don't know where to go. 
The Bible over and over and over again tells us God is faithful. He becomes our light in a dark place over and over again. Here's what I learned about darkness that day. I learned that darkness, even though it is uncomfortable, it has a limit. Do you know that? Darkness has a limit. It has a shelf life. It, it doesn't last forever. God breaks through and begins to speak to us in these times in our life when we are confused and we don't know what to do. It has a limit. I also learned something else in that valley. And the second promise, and that is that God gives treasure in dark places. God gives treasure in dark places. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel said it this way about God. He says, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Those times when, when, when we're confused and we don't know what to do, God knows what's there. He knows what's there, and he's going to reveal to us what we need to know. Isaiah 45.3 says it this way, I will give you the treasures of darkness. I love that phrase. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. It is this verse that I want us to unpack this morning, this idea of treasure in dark places. Does God really bless us in those moments when we are at our lowest, when we are our most confused, when we are, are whether, whether we are there because we put ourselves there with poor choices or whether it's happened to us and we had nothing to do with it? Will God show up and show us treasure in dark places? I got to give you the context to this verse of what was going on in Isaiah 45. In Isaiah, in the, in the Old Testament, there's, there's a book called Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. The entire book of Isaiah, what's going on is that the Israelites are captives of the Babylonian Empire. And in this verse, in this particular verse, Isaiah is prophesying that a Persian king named Cyrus will become extremely wealthy, and that God will use this king's wealth to set the captives free, to set the Israelites free so that they can return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Now, Isaiah gave this prophecy 100 years before Cyrus was born, okay? And so all of this happened just as Isaiah prophesied. There was a guy named Cyrus who became king. And, and when he became king, history records, he became extremely, extremely wealthy. And then God impressed it upon that king's heart to let the Israelites go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And, and that wealth that this king had was used to fund that entire political fiasco that, that people were, un, un, they, they couldn't believe that it was happening. Isaiah prophesied all of it a hundred years before it happened. But what does all of this have to do with us? For you and I, when we find ourselves in dark places, that's what I want us to think about together this morning. The first thing I, I would say is don't be afraid 
of the dark places. I don't care what your age is. When I, that dark place where I described where I was in Kentucky, okay, I was in my 20s, okay? I, that, that's, I, I, was, I probably shouldn't have been a pastor, but for God in his wisdom, let me be one. And, and thankfully, I made a bunch of mistakes where nothing was streamed online. <laughs> right? You know, and no, the only people that saw it were the people in the room, okay? But, but all, my, my point is, is, is that I've had other dark times. It happens to all of us. No one, no one gets to live a life free of, of valleys. And they come in all different seasons of life, whether you're young Middle-aged, in the prime of your career, retired, comes to all of us. And chances are, you and I, we're going to go through more than one. Where we enter into these, these dark times in life, these valleys in life, when, when we don't know what we're supposed to do, what we're, how we're supposed to respond. And here's the thing. In today's world, there's a lot of people in valleys. There's a lot of people struggling with a lot of things. You're rubbing shoulders with them all the time. They're out there. And, and, and so, so you and I, what, what, we, what we've got to be able to, to know is that we can't be afraid of those dark times in life. We can't fear them. Why? Because God gives us treasure in dark places. Some of our, our greatest jewels some of our greatest nuggets of wisdom and truth and peace and hope and courage will come from those dark times. That's what this verse is telling us. Why is that true? Here's the first thing that you and I need to be reminded of, and that is that God hides himself in dark places to be found. God hides himself in dark places. Isaiah 45, 3, this verse that we're looking at. Let's look at it one more time. I will give you the treasure of darkness, riches hidden in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. God is the treasure in a valley. He is the riches. In that dark place, when we find ourselves in that confusing, frustrating, scared time, God is the treasure there. Knowing Christ is the treasure in that dark place. He hides himself there in the darkness so that you and I might be able to find him. His presence, his peace, his hope, his courage, his strength, his kindness, his love, it's all there in the dark. That's why we can't be afraid of it. Acts 1 says it this way. I'm sorry, Acts 17. It says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind. All right, he's talking about the whole world. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yes, he is actually not far from each one of us. I get it that when we're in a valley, we might feel as though God is a million miles away, when in reality, he's very, very close. And the whole phrasing of this verse, this idea of feel their way toward him, it's, it's like being in a dark room. You know what happens when you're in a dark room, right? If, if there's a dark room and you can't find a light switch and you have no source of light, I mean, we're cautious in a dark room. 
We take our time moving through it. We feel our way through it. Well, when life is like that and we're feeling our way through it, God says, I'm right there. I'm really close to where you are. You are not alone in that place. When we're going through a valley, sometimes we experience shock. Where is God when we're shocked? God is in the people that he sends into your life to love you when you're being shocked. And you need to let them love you. Let them help you. That's his presence when you're in shock. Sometimes when we're in a valley, we experience grief, sadness. Where's God in that? Well, we start lamenting. We start crying out to him. And he's right there. He's listening to what we're saying. Sometimes we struggle. Where's God in our struggles? Well, we surrender. We surrender to him. And then when we, we find him in the midst of that surrendering to him. Isaiah, I mean, not Isaiah. What? Think about it this way. You know, at Easter, we hide eggs, right? You take eggs and you, why do, why do we hide eggs? We take them and we put them out in the yard. We hide them for the children, right? Or do you hide them from the children? Right? So, so my boys, sometimes when they're being mean and we have little kids over, they're not hiding eggs for the kids. <laughs> they're hiding eggs from the kids. And that's when I find them with the lawnmower later. You know, you know what I'm talking about? So, so here's, here's what God does in dark places for me and you. He, he says, I'm going to hide for you, not from you. But here's the thing, we, we, have to do, we have to do the work of the search. We are so soft, I'm telling you, we're so soft as a society. And, and we, we, this idea of, of coping with problems and, and coping with challenges in life, and listen, there are some real challenges, there are some real problems, but I, I'm telling you, if you and I will turn to searching for the Lord instead of searching for something that will make us feel better, we will find the treasure in dark places. Because he hides for us there, not from us. God hides himself for us, but notice this second thing, that we, you and I, when we, we can't be afraid of the dark because we must know God has the power to intervene. That God has the power to intervene in our darkness. Again, if we go back to this verse, Isaiah 45, 3, I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches, riches hidden in secret places. He will give us himself. Why? So that you may know that I am the Lord the God of Israel who summons you by name. He says, I am the Lord. What does that mean? It's like God is saying, I'm it. I'm it. There is nothing else you need apart from him. He is the Lord. He is it. There is nothing else that you and I need. Isaiah 55, God talks here and he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, 
and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Well, that stinks, doesn't it? I mean, we live in the information society. Who is God? Who does he think he is to know things that we don't know? And who is he to think that, that he has that information and he's not obligated to share it with us about my life? Because you know what? We treat every other institution, person, and organization that way. And don't you dare think that we're not tempted to think that way about God. Who is God to withhold something from me? If he loved me, surely he would tell me everything. You and I need to wake up and smell the coffee and realize that maybe him not telling us everything is his love for us. Who are we to think that we should know everything when we're in the dark? That's not the time to know. That's the time to trust. Let me tell you something. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and they had a perfect world. They had no valleys. They had no darkness. They had no bad times. Nothing bad had happened to them. Nothing. They lived in a perfect environment. Satan came along and convinced them that God was withholding something. God wasn't letting them know everything they could know. And if you would just eat from this tree, eat the fruit of this tree, then you will be like God and you will know everything that God knows. And they ate and entered their first valley. Why is that? See, you and I, we've eaten from the wrong tree. Can I tell you something? As long as God allows this earth to spin, you and I will continue to learn what he knows. We just call it science. We call it technology. We, we, we think the world is learning something new. We're not, we're not learning something new. We're just learning things that God's always known. And we're just trying to figure out. But here's the problem. When they ate from the tree, you and I, we got the knowledge of God. But guess what we didn't get? We didn't get the wisdom of God. And so now we're living in a world that is discovering at a rapid pace, the knowledge of God, but we don't have the wisdom of God. And it's messing our world up. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They always will be. And when we find ourselves in a valley, that is not the time to know. It is the time to trust. To trust him to trust him alone because whatever we find out will not make it better. It will not make it better. Look at Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. Look at what he says. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I love this verse because it, it points out this relationship that you and I can have with the Almighty God. God says, look, I am, I am the high and holy one. You understand, you and I, we're dust. We are dust. 
He breathed life into us, and if it weren't for that, we're dust. He is the high and holy one. But at the same time, he says, I live within the heart of those who are lowly and humble and repentant and contrite. God says, God says, I am, I am powerful enough to be in control of everything. I'm big enough to watch it all, but I'm small enough to live in each and every individual heart. That's amazing. Because of that, God has the ability to intervene in our darkness. In times when we are confused, when times when we don't know what to do, he's big enough to know it all and small enough to speak to us in our hearts and to let us know what we need to do. Sometimes, sometimes God doesn't speak to us. God doesn't intervene the way we want him to. I get that. I get that. Sometimes God doesn't give us the miracle we're praying for. But that doesn't mean he doesn't give us a miracle. Does that make sense? It's just not the one we were asking for. There is a lady, her name is uh, Joni Erickson Tata, and some of you may recognize that name. But Joni Erickson Tata, when she was a teenager, she was in a diving accident, and she broke her neck and was paralyzed has been paralyzed her entire life. I found a video clip of her talking, and I'm gonna share that clip with you in just a moment, but what I need to tell you before the part that you hear is, is that uh, in this clip, she had been talking about after her accident that um, you know she was a believer. She believed in the Lord, and, and she believed God could do anything. And so she began to pray for the Lord to heal her to miraculously give her the ability to walk again. And she went on to talk about how she went to healing services and how she sat in, in healing services and there were people who were getting healed. And then someone would come and pray over her and she would not be healed. And she talked about how she, how she wrestled with that. And, and how she didn't understand why some people could get the miracle they were praying for and some people could not. And with that context, I want you to listen to what she says next in this interview as she's being interviewed. Let's watch this together. So, so when people come up to you, though, sometimes they've got the gift of healing, and that means that they've healed people before. Um, it can't be God's fault, and it can't be their fault. And so if they pray for you and you're not healed, they would say it's your fault because you fault. don't have enough faith, yeah. right? And they, 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 how have you responded to that in the past when people have said, Johnny, you just need more faith? Well, faith's focus is always the key. Mm -hmm. And faith's focus is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at that. If I have enough faith, will God heal me? Well, the Bible says all we really need is mustard seed-sized faith. Yeah. We don't even need great faith, just small faith. Mm -hmm. and, and if it's on Christ, then you rest it with him. Wow. I remember when I was out of the hospital and after I'd gone to all those faith healers and I didn't get healed, I started to read in Psalms where it said, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I delighted myself in the Lord and I, I thought, well, of course then he's gonna give me the desire of my heart. Yeah. The desire of my heart is to walk, is to have use of my hands. But the more I grew to know Christ, mm -hmm. the deeper and more intimate I became with him, 
my desires began to shift. Suddenly, walking wasn't the priority anymore. It was, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I, I want to know more of you, Jesus. Give me more of you, Jesus. I want to tell others about how good you are, how gracious you are. Give me the power to disciple as I should and evangelize as I should. Jesus, I want to... And what do you know? I was fulfilling Mark chapter 1, verse 38, yeah. where Jesus himself says, this is why I've come, to preach the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel became my priority. Wow. Physical healing and walking and having use of my hands began to shift down to number 4, 5, 12, 15, 25. Wherever it is right now, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's still on the list. Well, here's what's amazing. is I know a lot of people have said this about you. I, I've said there are people who have what the healing of your physical body would bring who don't have the peace that you have, yeah. right? And the desires of our heart is that we long for peace, we long for a sense of joy and purpose and meaning, and you have, and so the desires of our heart are ultimately for those things. Absolutely. And Jesus gives it. I love the way you respond to folks, though, when they say, can I pray for you? You say, absolutely, pray for my healing. Right. But then also pray for, and tell them some of the things you ask them to pray for as they oh, yeah. seek to heal you. When people want to heal me, I, I always tell them, I said, yes, of course, I'd love to get out of this wheelchair. It would be wonderful, but may I please tell you some specifics on how you can pray. Mm. And they say, well, sure. What, what are they? And I said, well, pray that I will quit cherishing inflated ideas of my own importance. Please pray that I will quit mm. keeping a record of other people's wrongs. Please pray that, 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 that I will pop that hot balloon air of pride that often crops up. Please pray that I'll quit reading my own press releases. Mm. Please pray that I will quit being so anxious about my future and fearful. Please pray that, I mean, I, I list sin after wow. rebellion, after fear, after worry, after anxiety. And I, these are the things I need to be healed of. Sometimes God doesn't give us the miracle we want. But that doesn't mean he's not changing us and giving us what we need. And I can't say it any better than she said it. But the, the, the purpose, the purpose of, and when we talked about this last week, one of God's primary purposes in our life is that we become like Christ, that we become like him. And so, so understand that God's intervention may not be the miracle we're looking for at first, but that doesn't mean he's not intervening in our life. And very much a part of what's going on when we find ourselves in a dark place. The third thing that I'd like for you and I to remember this morning about why we shouldn't be afraid of the dark is because God will be personal in our dark place. No matter how God intervenes, no matter what it is that he steps in and begins to transform inside of us, it will be personal. He'll be right there and you'll know that it's him. Isaiah 45, three says it again this way. Look at this. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who what? Who summons you by name. Summons you by name. There is nothing more personal than your name. Who you are. Naming a baby is a, a big deal. For some people, it's a social experiment. I get it. But for most people, when they name their child, it has a personal meaning to it. To them, it means something. And it's the very first thing that we teach all of our children is to what? Respond to their name. 
Think about it. What do you want your child to do when you call their name? When they're little, the very first thing, you want them to try to see you. You want them to notice that it's you calling their name. The Lord says that, that he'll show up and he'll be personal and he'll call us by our name in such a way that we know who he is. Do you know when, uh, when I was a baby, well, before I, before I was born, when I was still in my mother's womb, my parents wanted to name me Tori. Glad they didn't do that. <laughs> they, they went ahead and they named me Carrie, and my middle name is Alan. And when I was growing up, my mom was the only person who called me Carrie Allen. No one else has ever called me, even to this day. Uh, Cherry does not call me Carrie Allen. I mean, she calls me a lot of things, but she doesn't call me that. <laughs> and all of those names are personal, too. But, but she, she's got her name. She's got her list for me. But my, my point is, is that when my mom would say Carrie Allen, it was like she... She knows me better than anyone, right? That's what gave her the right to use the name. I know you like no one else. Well, God knows us like no one else. He knows us like he knows who we really are. And he says, I will summon you by name in your dark place. I will speak to you in such a way that, that you will know it is me. Look at Isaiah 30. Look at this passage. This is a beautiful passage. He will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. Though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink, that's the valley, right? The Lord allows things into our life that it's suffering, it's painful, it hurts. He will still be with you to teach you. In other words, he stays close. He's right there. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. That's pretty personal. That your own This is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. That's pretty personal, isn't it? Look, I can testify to that. There's been times. I mean, I'm, sometimes people say, oh, God speaks in such general terms. That has not been my experience. When I seek him and I, and I cry out to him and I humble myself before him, he specifically tells me what I need to do. Now, listen, I may not like it. In fact, most of the time I don't because it involves me doing something that I don't want to do. It involves me forgiving someone I don't want to forgive them. It involves me loving someone that I don't want to love. It involves me humbling myself when I'd rather feel like I deserve something. But he always tells me what I need to do. I just may not like it. Then notice what it says. Then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You will throw them out like filthy rags, saying to them, good riddance. Can I tell you what happens in a dark place? When you really humble yourself before the Lord, you find the idols that you cling to. The things in life that provide us with security and comfort 
and, and the things that we say will make our life happy, when you're in a valley, you begin to realize you're clinging to that, and it's not helping you out of your valley. But then God begins to speak. And God begins to say, this is who you need to be. This is how you need to respond. This is how you need to react. He gets very personal about what we should and should not be doing to, to, to the habits we should have or the habits we should quit or the habits we should start. He starts talking to us about our time and our priorities. He starts talking to us about our finances. He starts talking to us about the relationships in our life. And he, and he begins, begins to, to get very specific about what we should be doing. But we hang on to our idols until we let go. And then we begin to realize, oh my goodness, this is how I get out of my valley. This, this is how I get out of my valley. I begin to follow him. One of the favorite places we like to go eat is, is Chipotle. You guys like Chipotle? Yep. Most people do. Most people like Chipotle. You know what happens whether you order online or whether you go in to Chipotle. When you, when you get up to, to make your order, here's the the very first thing they ask you, okay, is like, what do you want? you want? You want a burrito? You want a taco? You want a salad? That's it, okay? So once you clarify what you want, the very next question is what's your protein? Is it steak or is it chicken or is that stuff that they try to make taste like meat that's not meat? Okay? But what's, what's going to be the heart of what you're going to eat? The heart of your burrito, so to speak. What, what's going to be the primary ingredient? And then after you make that choice, you start moving down the line. And now's all your add-ons, right? Is it brown rice, white rice, dark beans, white beans? Is it corn salsa, regular salsa, hot salsa, grilled vegetables, shredded cheese, guac? I've been there several times. What about you? Okay? And all these things you're adding on, right? You're adding on. But the primary thing was the steak or the chicken. That was the primary ingredient. Everything else is just an add-on to make the steak and chicken taste a little better, right? Can I tell you what most of us have done in our lives, sitting right here in this room and watching online this morning? We've made Jesus an add-on in our life. He's not the heart of our burrito. He's not the heart of our life. He's an add-on. My life is about something else. My life is about my career, or my life is about my family, or my life is about how much money I make, or my life is about this relationship that I have, or my life is about the hobbies I like, or my life is about retirement, or my life is about anything. But you know what? It's okay because I've added Jesus to it. So, so what I've made my life about, the reason it tastes so good to me is because Jesus is one of my add-ons. But my life really isn't about Jesus. It's about something else. 
And when we get into a valley, our eyes are opened and we see that. That's where we learn, oh, my life was really about something else. And Jesus can't be an add-on. He will not be an add-on. He is our life or he's not. He's not the grilled vegetables. He's not the guac of your life. He is your life. Or he's not. And there is no in-between. I know that's harsh, but the reality of it is is that there's going to be a lot of people who never make it into eternity, into heaven, because Jesus was never the center of their life. He was an add-on. He was an add-on. That's it. He was never it. And that's why we can't be afraid of the dark because some of us sitting here and some of us watching online, we need the dark to discover that. We need it to know, to be reminded once again, oh my, oh my God, Lord Jesus, you are the center of my life. I'm sorry that I let something else slip in there. You're it. That's why we can't be afraid of the dark. We need to be reminded. Or we need to do it for the first time ever. The last thing I'd like for us to think about is that what we know about God influences our worship in dark places. What we know about God allows us to worship him in the dark. Isaiah 50.10 says this, If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Who is your God? Who is your God? Because that is what you will trust in a dark place. That is, that's where our affections, that's where our hope, that's where our attention will go when we're in the dark. It'll go to the God that, that we have, whatever, whatever that God is. And, and so who is your God? Who is it that you are going to trust? You and I must come to know the God of the scriptures. We must come to know the God that is revealed through Jesus Christ because that is the only one who will bring light to your darkness. Nothing else. The Hollywood version of God will not bring light to your darkness. The American version of God will not bring light to your darkness. The family version that was handed down to you, that will not bring light to your darkness Jesus, he will bring light to your darkness. And you trust him alone. Amen? Amen. I want to leave you with a prayer on this Mother's Day. Simply says, Father, you are the light. You light up my darkness Increase my faith so I will not fear the dark times in my life. Let me accept crawling in the dark so I can find you and reject my false ideas of who you really are. 
Give me a heart that desires to know you when my life is comfortable so that when a valley comes, I will know how to worship you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray together. For Lord, may this prayer become one that we use this week. May we come to the realization that many of us sitting here in this room and watching online today have made Jesus nothing more than an add-on to our life. And we fooled ourselves into thinking that, that because he's a part of the picture, that it's enough. And that's just not the truth. Lord, it's you or it's nothing as far as our relationship with you goes. So, Father, help us. Help us to see where we are with you. And, Lord, if there's someone in this room or someone watching online this morning who doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they cry out to you that they really put their trust in you alone. Lord, we pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week.